space crashes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, well, we know where you are. You're at home. Whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're doing the right thing, staying home, staying inside, helping us all get through this. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Third Love, Ritual, and Audible. They're bringing the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis, the guy who is once again raising money for St. Jude, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, audience. I am. No, uh, you know, I get choked up cold open this year uh, for you or me or our listeners, but I am. Uh, Play Live, St. Jude's annual gaming big fundraiser is on again. I'm helping raise money for them. You can find a link to it uh, pinned at the top of my Twitter profile, at Spicer. All of the money goes directly to St. Jude. And um, I know it's a rough time for everybody. And I thought about not doing it this year, but there are still kids getting cancer. A cancer touched my life personally this year, and it remains an important issue to me. So um, I'm still figuring out my streaming, but I am raising money for St. Jude again, and I would appreciate your help to help uh, these kids beat cancer. Again, you can find the link on the top of my Twitter page at Spicer if you would like to contribute. Yeah, man, crushed it last year. So uh, hopefully this year, I know lots of people are uh, in a giving mood, which is wonderful. Others, you know, not able to give this year, but that's okay. Uh, and I'm I'm uh, supporting you, and it's such a great cause. There's lots of causes right now, but this is certainly one that I believe in as well. Uh, so you know, we have no sports to bet on this year, but we'll figure yeah. out something creative to do. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we got lots to talk about this episode. You know, it's a great time to be playing video games. It's a great time to be staying indoors. The World Health Organization says stay in, play video games. So let's talk about them. And we have an awesome guest to do it with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for Delicious Limbs of Chicken. Because we have the guy who was born to eat chicken wings and play video games. You, of course, know him from Kind of Funny. We're so happy to welcome Greg Miller back to the show. Hey, Greg. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing about as well as you can expect at this point. <laughs> right, yeah, you're at you're at you're at covid average. You're at lockdown average. Got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hanging in there. Uh, how are you doing? Uh, you know, I can't complain. You know, I I'm lucky enough that uh we were able to move kind of funny to everyone's houses and the business hasn't missed a beat, so we're able to take care of uh, obviously our family of employees but then our family of fans as well. And we have Lots of games right now, amazing games, and we're going to get to all of those uh, very shortly. But let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Cool folks hanging out there. I encourage you to give it a visit. But Greg, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Jeff, 
There is no story bigger than the PlayStation 5 controller, the Dual Sense being announced. Dual Sense. Dual Sense. All your senses, including two. <laughs> yeah, two of your senses are being used. Just don't look at it, feel it, <laughs> and hear it. Um, yes, yes. Sony revealed the PS5 controller. Uh, I think I certainly expected more of the same, more of the uh, dual shock variety of controllers, but no. The shock a- was the change. Yeah, the, oh. the, the shock was inside you all along. Um, <laughs> this is a massive, as you know, as far as controllers go, a massive redesign. Uh, and I would argue looks a lot like an Xbox controller. What, what's your take, Greg? Yeah, I mean, we're getting there, right? So still the sticks are uh, obviously not offset like the Xbox controller, but the form factor was the first thing that took me back, right? Is that obviously, uh, you know, the PlayStation controller since PlayStation 1 has had a vibe to it, right? Obviously, once they added the dual analog sticks, it, it still had that look to it and obviously we all remember the boomerang controller debuted for the playstation 3 that never came (laughs) out right it seemed like playstation learned their lesson that they were going to keep iterating on this thing and even you know the dualshock 4 when you look at it compared to dualshock 3 2 and then the original you see the differences you see the evolution but what's really interesting about this is when mark cerny gave his presentation that was meant to be that gdc presentation right the road to playstation 5 he talked about playstation 5 being a revolution rather than an evolution that the playstation 4 was an evolution of ps3 was an evolution of the brand and that this was going to be a revolution and i think that could have been and still could be obviously lip service but you look at this controller and they are going in a different direction yeah it's pretty exciting and it certainly does indicate that there were they were looking at the entire system with a, an eye to innovate, an eye to really break it down and rebuild it in a new image. And what do you think of what they're showing? I mean, it is at least the, the first version of the controller, the, the image that they released is a two color, which is already like whoa, two colors in one what? controller. Um, and it has, it has some notable changes as far as buttons there's no a create button which is kind of interesting you push Uh, it and it gives you uh dreams and you just you make a level i think is how it works (laughs) um so i mean what do you think as somebody who has made playstation centric shows and you know i expressed your love of the playstation brand this is a pretty big departure is there any part of you that is sad to see the dual shock form factor go uh, I want to say sad. It's more the the whole run up to this for PlayStation Five so far has been tell not show. And even though we're looking at this controller and we're seeing the Dual Sense, I I won't have a full opinion until I feel it, until I have it in my hand and I know what I'm getting into. Right? I thought what was interesting on the PlayStation blog where they debuted it, right? And it was you know the senior VP of platform planning and management. He popped up and he wrote up this really long blog post about. It, but what he put here was interesting. The de- designers were then able to draw the lines of how exterior of the of the exterior of the controller would look and feel, with a challenge of making the controller feel smaller than it really looks. I found that so interesting that they said that because that was my first blush opinion looking at. It. I'm like, this thing looks heavy, and mm-hmm. so for them to go in and put in the haptic tri- triggers to change the way the light bulb works, to change the way the create like all these different things and add more girth to the bottom right below the stick yeah. to kind of flatten that out. I'm fascinated to know what this is going to feel like because that's what I always liked about the DualShock is that it fit in my hands well, but then it never felt too heavy. In fact, I always thought the six axis right when they launched that was too light when it didn't have rumble. Right. 
Yeah, I remember thinking that too, especially when you wanted to use it as a gyra, you know, at least <laughs> the initial uh, experimentation that kind of abandoned that. But when you were asked to use it in its gyro, you know, uh, configuration, Just it felt it really light. <laughs> what? The gyro thing. The, gy- the gyro configuration. We should start. We should trademark that. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it felt, you're right. It felt flimsy and light. And, and this does look like it's got a little more heft to it. It does look like it has a little more weight, but it's interesting that the the desire is to make it feel small because that's one of the things that I haven't liked about the dual shock is that my, like my pinky and the bottom of my palm hang off the end of the little nubbins, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm hoping I, that's why I always preferred the Xbox controller. Cause it felt to my, to my, you know, human male adult hands, you know, it felt a little, uh, uh you know, fuller. Sure. Dude, the you- Xbox controller and especially the Xbox one controller, right. Has, the right amount of heft to it. Like it yeah. feels good, right? It feels like a qual. I think when we talk about six axis and why that didn't work initially with the PlayStation three was that, yeah, that controller felt so light. It was always, oh, I feel like I'm going to break it. And the, the Xbox never had that problem. It always, you know, even go back to the Duke, right? <laughs> These things. Yeah, exactly. Christian, what's your take on this? I know you, you have been uh, falling in love with back paddles as of late. This certainly doesn't look like it's going to be, compatible with any back paddle solution you currently own yeah that doesn't look does not look like the dual shock for back paddles will work on this thing i do hope that sony especially i know they didn't make a lot of them but how quickly the back paddles for the dual shock 4 seem to sell out everywhere i hope that indicates that you know people are interested in that and that there is something here for the dual sense dual sense my favorite thing about like the boomerang controller and all that is that it was so aptly named, right? Like Sony literally threw it out and everyone was like, gross. And then it came right back and they got rid of it. <laughs> um, this one, I, I like the two tone, but what I like about it is what I think it says maybe about the console itself. I, I have to imagine that there's going to be some of that design influence on the console so that this thing seems like it, you know, pairs with the thing that's near your entertainment center or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it seems like they're going louder and bolder, whereas Microsoft is kind of going for this utilitarian, you know, it's still designed, but it's purpose built. It's you can have it vertical. It's a square. It's a refrigerator, mini fridge thing <laughs> um, design. And I'm curious if Sony comes out was something a little more eccentric in kind of the design of the box and the controller. And to me, I think the biggest change of the dual sense that I can see, because I agree with Greg, like I want to feel this haptic uh, stuff, but is the repositioning of the light bar and yeah. what that's used for, like VR, like it's on the top, what else uses it? How is that implemented? I think that's kind of fascinating. Well, it always seemed odd to me that the light bar was where it was. I mean, clearly it, it is used to to track the controller for the camera, but also any of that mood lighting that that some games use was almost always lost on me because I'm staring down at this thing. And I don't even see the light. Yeah. You know, it felt like, yeah. who's this for? It's for some other person in the room, I guess. Um, so I like the fact that they've kind of shifted that and made it a little more noticeable. Right, that was something interesting about how the initial DualShock 4s started using that light bar, where obviously, yeah, it was meant for VR, but then you did find games using it to show that you were in, you know, you were in stealth, right? Or you were visible, or hey, you're, you know, in Resident Evil, you're green, you're yellow, you're red. It was a health indicator. And obviously with that DualShock 4, you never saw that unless you were in a pitch black room. I think I remember playing Thief that way and finally being like, oh, oh, wow, this is, I see what they're trying to do here. And then, you know, they iterated on it and put that line through the touchpad on the the new DualShock 4s. So 
putting it here and yeah, cutting out the sides and having it glow a bit more is going to be interesting. And you know, especially when you think about playing in a darkened theater or a darkened room or living room, like maybe you will see that more. And obviously it'll still be used to tell, you know, player one, two and three and four apart, but it'll be interesting how they mix that up. But again, yeah, then what it means for PlayStation VR, obviously PlayStation five is backwards compatible with PlayStation VR as we know it right now going forward are, the headset is the PSVR 2, if they make one, and God, I hope they do. Is that going to have the cameras built in like the Quest? God, I hope it does. Yes, but if I want to play my PlayStation VR stuff that does require the front-facing light bar, do I need to hold on to my DualShock 4? Like, there's a bunch of mm. nuts and bolts questions that I don't have the answers to, and of course, nobody does because this was just a blog post they put up and kind of haven't done the town hall discussion about it after. Right. I, boy, you just kind of blew my mind. I, I don't think this is what it is, but my my head just jumped to the idea of this top facing light. Maybe because you have, if you have cameras in the headset itself, looking down, mm-hmm. maybe it sees the controller in the inside out tracking. I I doubt that's the case, but it got be control. awesome though, right? <laughs> yeah, it would be super cool. Um, so here's the the question that I want to. I want to ask, and obviously none of us know the answer to it, but I, but what does your gut say, Greg, about PS5? Do you think we, we see it in 2020, or do you think all the craziness of the world leads to a delay into 2021? Man, the million-dollar question, or tens of yeah. millions of dollar question, right? Like, sure. I have to imagine at PlayStation, this is an ongoing conversation of back and forths. Um, I do think you see it. I do think they put it out. I think that it'll be a smaller run of PlayStation 5s than they initially wanted. And we probably won't know that immediately. I doubt they'll come out and say that. Um, I think that you do this both uh, at PlayStation and Xbox. You put it out this holiday because you said this holiday. But then also, just like everything else in the world, everybody gets a pass right now in terms of what's going on, right? Like, uh, you know, when we our tech cuts out on our shows or when I want to get something from delivery to support a local business, but they aren't open that one day, like everybody understands what's going on. I think PlayStation and Xbox releasing their new consoles this year still makes sense, even with a limited run, even with their launch games not getting made in time. Let's say Halo Infinite doesn't hit launch for Xbox. Let's say, uh, I keep saying, Horizon uh, 2 doesn't hit uh, launch for PlayStation 5. And these games, or these consoles launch without these big tentpole titles. I think the focus on backwards compatibility, I think the focus on you're bringing all your games with you, I think even if there was a smaller supply for people to go to the hardcore people like us and everybody listening to this show would be engaged to do that. They would still want the bells and whistles. They would still want to be in a new ecosystem. They would still want their games to load better. Even if it is that I'm just playing Spider-Man, you know, faster, that would be enough for people to jump in and show. Cause we are now in this world, right? Of incremental upgrades where the PlayStation pro and Xbox, uh, Xbox Series X is what I want to jump to immediately. Xbox One X. <laughs> uh, it was make it easy. <laughs> no, right? I know. Uh, it was at, when they announced those. Uh, uh, what are you talking about? Why would you do this? And now we're in a different way or place where I think everybody has those. And even though it wouldn't be nearly as exciting, PlayStation or Sony and Microsoft are going to want as many dollars as they can, understandably. And I think that you know a shortage and showing a demand and all this stuff, even without your giant launch games, matters. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe Last of Us Two is a launch game. Maybe that's, that's right. You know? That's that's another one that I do think you that that would be my pivot if I was them. Of like, cool, we're, yeah, you know, Ghost of Tsushima still launches this summer, but now we've moved Last of Us Two day and date with PlayStation Five, and it you know here's what our here's how it runs better, here's what it loads faster, why this is the place to play this. 
Yeah. What's your I, take on this, Christian? Well, I will say right now that I will put my homemade mask on and I will drive wherever I need to drive to get a PS4 dev kit to play that finished version of Last of Us Part Two right now. Um, but the trophies, you, let, you won't get your trophies. I'm okay with that, Craig. You know, like I, I really waffled that's, on it and that was what was holding me back. Right? That's our second playthrough. <laughs> uh, gimme, 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 gimme. Yeah, I, I think, I think they can come out this year and I agree with Greg. They probably will. The PS five, I was saying they talking about the Xbox as well. To me, I, I think more so than like production and all of that is just the world in which they launch in. And if people have disposable income to purchase them and where they're coming from and, and what the world looks like at the end of the year. Um, my hope is that things are better and you know, it is something that is attainable for people, but I, I don't know. I mean, that that's that's my fear. I, I know like Apple launched their new iPad Pro a couple of weeks ago and they're launching their, what is like $400 iPad Pro keyboard here in a few days and or maybe it's next month. And some of that stuff just seems tonally incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. So if this box comes out- Does it run Zoom? Then I need it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there also have been price gouging on like Logitech webcams and stuff. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, there's price gouging on milk. Yeah. So yeah. It's it's wild. So I, I mean, if these boxes come out at 600, 700 bucks, 500 bucks even, I don't know. It, it's I'm sure there is demand for them, but it's just such a different world than when we started this show with our- Cool Ranch predictions, Jeff. Like I have no idea, no idea. Yeah, it, I was I was pretty certain that we it would still be on track and kind of uh, something would happen uh, up until the the Last of Us Two delay, and then that felt like whoa, anything is possible right now. Like it, it is so because that just came out of hey, the world can't do this. We there's no supply chain for a large portion of the people that want this to get it. Uh, and that just, you know, kind of rocked my, my totally recognition of, of what, how, how deep this problem is and how long it's going to be until it sort of writes itself. If ever, you know, maybe yeah. we are in a new paradigm forever. Um, and that was the thing I was talking about when it happened and we did an emergency PS. I love you. XOXO episode about it. It's, it's what's crazy about this, you know, covering PlayStation for 13 years. What's crazy about this is, it's literally them looking into the camera and going, we don't know. Like there isn't, you know, it's not that they have some plan that they're doing this to move that because they think the financial fiscal. No, it's like, we don't know where the world is right now. We don't want to launch this into a thing that can't get to you. You see, you know, square Enix, right. Having to put up a statement of like, Hey, yeah, we're shipping final fantasy seven early. You know, they're shipping final fantasy seven remake early to Europe and Australia because they want to make sure they can get it. And that means people are going to get early. And so, Hey, everybody, please be cool about it. That's crazy. Square Enix has never done anything early ever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and we'll be talking about it all along the way. But of course, you know, it's, it's on the, the, spectrum of things to be worried about with regard to this crisis this is low on the totem pole but it is you know what we're obsessed with it's our hobby so uh i'm fascinated by it christian spicer what is your story of the week speaking of things we're obsessed with is something i'm obsessed with i've talked about it a lot on the show i've gone back to pro because it was free uh but stadia pro is free for everyone for two months um stadia kind of doing something uh (laughs) 
and now that everybody's home, I guess maybe they're trying to like, hey, we, we've, we've got this. Um, and the announcement. So the news is that Stadia Pro is available for free for everybody with a Gmail account. Um, use your own controller kind of thing. You know, you don't need the Chromecast, Founders Bundle, all that stuff. Gmail account, you can sign in and get two months for free. If you're a former Pro subscriber, you can re-log in and get two months free again. Personally, I found that very difficult to do. Uh, I'm a <laughs> relatively smart person, and I went into my account, clicked on it, literally couldn't. The workaround I found is I had to go to a prior game that I had via Pro and click on to play it and be like, hey, you can't anymore. Resub. That was, And then I talked uh, to uh, Stadia's Twitter account. They gave me two links that didn't work. Third link finally worked. <laughs> Par for the course, man. It this was is not just par for the course. It was, yes, uh, uh, just, but I wanted this thing. And I'm like, <laughs> you are the number one Stadia <laughs> yes. fan right now. You are the fan. They I was like, I will, I will do this again. And maybe I'll keep pro. And I wanted to play Serious Sam. And anyway, I, I finally got in. And maybe now they have a better link out. But um, the news is that it's free for everybody. But also part of the news is because of the world we're in right now and everybody's at home streaming things. Um, like the pro quality is not what the pro quality was because they have to dial back, you know, streaming everywhere a little bit. Um, all that being said, if you haven't tried it, go try it, set a reminder on your phone to cancel come June 10th or whatever it is. And maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. If not, there's a decent amount of pro games that you can play with and have some fun and and see if it's for you but i'm curious i have a feeling i know the answer but i'm curious greg and jeff if this was enough to get you reinterested or thinking about stadia in any way shape or form well nope i never stopped thinking about stadia like i was i am very bullish on streaming i think xcloud is really really awesome i think that uh, stadia when they were leading up to this and talking about it i was on board and i pre-ordered the founders edition and did it and i have i still have it um i think it's just so sad to watch stadia step out of their house and step on every rake in the front yard. It's like, <laughs> exactly. Come on, right? it's, it's your point. Christy Christy the not. clown thing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Sideshow Bob out there. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. The fact that even with this, it's still way too complicated to figure it out of how to get in there and how to redeem it and how, because this is a goodwill gesture and it is a good idea. You know what I mean? Like I do appreciate them being like, listen, obviously, yes, this is marketing, but it is also the fact we realize what's going on and we want to help out however we can and this is how we can help out. Um, for me, it comes down to just Stadia being behind on everything, still being an issue for me, right? Like I, you know, would have loved to start any number of the games that I'm super invested in on Stadia and been able to take it anywhere and it would have been a different ball of wax for me. But as a, you know, big division player, as somebody who loves Borderlands, like, those games getting so getting there so late on top of Borderlands, you know, last year launching and being in December, the October version that everybody else had. It's like I still hold out hope that this year or maybe even next now because of everything else going on in the world. But when Stadia gets to being right there with everybody, right, it is current. It is getting the games on the same things. I'm looking forward to myself as, you know, somebody who loves PlayStation trophies, having that real thought of like, wait, where should I get this? You know, I'm going to be on the road a lot for the next three months. Does it make more sense to get the Stadia version and really invest there? And hopefully by on the road, you mean like doing fun events and not like the road, which is a very <laughs> yeah, different. Exactly. I'm hitting <laughs> up a all. Wi-Fi hotspot at this abandoned McDonald's <laughs> on my walk back to Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we you know, we 
on this show, also bullish on streaming. We think it's the future. And then all you know, get all the emails and all the tweets from people who naysay and have some very justifiable points. Of course. And then it feels like you know they, they say, well, you, you know, you're at the mercy of them. You don't really own a thing. It's, you don't have it. It, it, it. Who knows about throttling? Yada yada yada. And all those points when it launched, I was like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. And now it feels like, wow, it's hard to ignore when. This is this obviously a very extreme, weird case in the world, but certainly something that happened and could things like this show you that when they want to, they just turn the dial and all of a sudden your experience is worse and you have no control over that. And I think that's the worrisome part where it's like, yeah, yeah, 4K streaming when things are great, but when they they aren't, you uh, you're at the mercy of of the stream and. That may be problematic going forward. And you watch like, you know, Comcast and other internet service providers like, all right, cool, we're lifting. And it's like, all right, so this is all BS to begin with. Like, (laughs) you can change this whenever you want to. And so there's the hope in me that as more, and I, you know, as somebody who loves streaming, as somebody who has been digital only in terms of a video game library and movie library now for years, like, there's the hope that in, if there is one, a, a small, totally nonsensical not doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things silver lining it is people having to use these programs and download games and use amazon prime streaming services for the first time in forever and maybe coming in and going oh you know what this runs better than i thought it does oh you know what this isn't as big of a hassle oh my internet speed's not as bad like and really could push us forward in like jump start in the same way we talk about this was just the you know nail in the coffin for GameStop. is this a boost to people understanding that Oh, digital isn't something I can be. I should be scared of. I can use it like in this way. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can try it yourself for free. Stadia Pro, two months. Uh, my story of the week um, is, I think, a pretty interesting thing. Greg brought up Borderlands Three, and there's a new mode that was just introduced into Borderlands Three called Borderlands Science. Science. It's science. science. They blinded me with science. Um, <laughs> where you are playing a mini game inside Borderlands 3, but that mini game is actually helping real scientists map the genome of microbiomes, of, of, of little microorganisms that live in all of our guts that we are learning in the last decade uh, have a huge impact on our health, on our mental well-being, on all kinds of things. And so scientists are trying to map their their genes and kind of learn more about them. It's a it's a very difficult problem and a problem that isn't really suited for just raw number crunching. It requires some lateral thinking that humans are particularly good at. So somebody turned that into a video game. Uh, a very simplistic sort of Tetris-like match. I don't think it's a match three, but it's match columns of like uh, icons. And um, you can play this in the game. You can earn rewards in the game for doing it. And it's actually really assisting scientists in doing something. I'm bringing this up because, A, I think this is amazing. And B, it's something that I have thought about for literally a decade, I remember playing science Diablo specifically. Well, I, yeah, I just found <laughs> science. <laughs> a decade ago. No, I, I remember playing Diablo uh, in particular and being like, I am doing the number of clicks that I am doing is, is just, it's work. It is. 
I am working, I am exerting energy in a way that is very specific. And why can't there be a way to abstract what I'm doing and focus it in on something like, why can't somebody just gamify my taxes or something, you know, something that I don't want to do. Why can't I just do this work that I'm willing to do for nothing, but it converts it into something useful for myself or for the world. And finally, here is something, I mean, we've heard about, you know, uh, PlayStation had the, uh, Folding, home. folding at home, right? Which is just leave, leave your thing on and it yeah. does stuff. This is actually using human beings and play, turning the playing of a game into something that can help the world. And I wonder what you think about this, Greg. Oh, I think it's brilliant. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's a great idea. I'm right there with you. And it's honestly, this is on the heels of folding at home kind of making a comeback. Because I don't know if you know this, but like, obviously, yeah, PlayStation 3 had folding at home it was a program you download. And when you just wanted to leave your PlayStation 3 on and it just spun this thing and you looked at it, you know, I'm like, I have no idea what that is. Good. I'm glad it's doing something. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That ended at some point on the PlayStation 3, but with COVID now, Folding at Home is still around, and foldingathome.org reached out and was like, hey, everybody, like, if you want to, like, we're working on COVID stuff, if you could donate just your PC power. And so that's been making its the rounds, and then for this to kick up, it's like, I'm right there with you, Jeff, of like, what a great idea, and why I, I'm, I'm glad someone's smart enough to figure this out, and you know, incentivize you to do it. Cause even beyond, cause I've done it, I've, I've gone through and I've d- beaten all the characters in it. I got all the skins out of it, but doing it even beyond the physical cosmetic rewards, you're earning this currency that you can then spend on XP boosts. You can spend it on rare loot drops. You can spend, it gives you this thing of, I don't know how long it's going to be around. I hope it's around forever. But even once you've done like the story part of it, jumping back in, earning more points, going back out and doing it again, like there's something in there to augment the way you're playing Borderlands in the same way you turn on the mayhem mode and, you know, get different enemies to fight you. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I feel like we could be doing more of this stuff. Right. I feel like Christian, you know, I used to play uh, World of Warcraft pretty intensely and anybody, even casual player that's ever perused any of the uh, any of the sites that are built around World of Warcraft or any MMO or any game for that matter. uh, Well, you will recognize people doing an extraordinary amount of work to min max to find the most efficient cycle of skills to take down the bosses in the most efficient manner. And I can't help but think like if that raw brain power if that that wisdom of the crowds could be brought to bear on something that actually would help the world or you could even just abstract it and have it feel like a game and yet actually do something it 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 feels like a very powerful idea and i i hope more people do it yeah i i love the idea behind it and i i folding is something that's you know very inspirational as well i think as someone who is now you know, full-time working and also part-time stay-at-home teaching um, for my kids. And I, I think the issue for it, and let this cut however you want about wherever, you know, forms of capitalism, is that this type of thing doesn't make a lot of money. Um, and so it doesn't get the resources needed to make the best version of a game that is also like beneficial to the world or something like uh, right now um my oldest daughter who's seven is playing some like math games and they're they're better than you know the edutainment games that i had growing up but they're still not as good as um i don't know the right term but like non-edutainment games you know yeah the games we all play already i know exactly what we're talking about right when we were growing up and your parents were like oh here's an educational game you put on it's like 
this stinks. This isn't fun at all. Like that, right. They don't understand how to teach me or make this fun to play. <laughs> right. All they're teaching me is to not like this game is all <laughs> I'm learning. And I feel like part of that problem is that they're not, you know, sold at a high enough volume. You need to get, or if they are sold, it's through school districts. They need to meet all these requirements. It's like, there's so much red tape, but I agree with you, Jeff, and, and principle and idea. I would love to see like, yeah, the, the amount of hours, like I not only did I complete the Destiny 2 raid, but I also like, and it, like sends me a pitch like you helped this kid beat cancer <laughs> you know yeah, saying, that's what I'm like, about. I'm do, not saying you did this by that and that would be awesome i'm not saying educate me i'm not saying don't you know <laughs> turn a video game into an educational tool for me i'm saying hide any of the benefit it does but <laughs> have it do benefit you know like figure out a way that in the playing of a thing that i would already play that is a, a puzzle game or a you know even a, some sort of organizational you know there there are things we do in games i mean look at the people playing animal crossing right now you know it's a it's chores you're doing chores Uh, we could we could find ways to funify or just have a layer of video game that's i would presume pretty well built video game but the layer beneath that is actually applying the the data collection the 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 mechanics of what you're doing in a way that helps somehow i just like i'm no (laughs) i'm no no engineer scientist i'm sure this is much more difficult than me just saying do it no we know you just discovered science 10 years ago i did yes (laughs) this was there the whole time um anyway i just you want it so every time you're playing a game and it chugs like a notification pops up like sorry we were processing uh, how to fix this (laughs) genome problem over here (laughs) you're like all right well you know it's okay then let it happen Yeah, exactly. I took a sip at the wrong time. Ugh. It doesn't say loading anymore. It says like saving the world. Yeah, yeah the PS5's yeah. load times are so fast. The elevator ride is just so it's folding at home for you or something. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe I'm being unrealistic, but I dig the fact that Borderlands 3 is doing this. And, 100%. Uh, yeah, it's it's a cool thing. I'd really like to see them uh, put out an app for it or something free because that was the main, the only criticism I saw of it, right, was the fact that, oh, well, this is cool, but... I don't like. I don't want to like. It still makes it still you know windowed behind me buying the sixty dollar game. Whereas if they were to right. drop an app or something else, where hopefully it could work the opposite way for Borderlands, where you know people try it, suddenly you have all this currency, you have all these skins. Maybe you want to try Borderlands with it, but also just give somebody on the go a reason to screw around on the bus ride, or if you ever start taking the bus again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's you know it's not a it's a simplistic game inside a very complex game, of so it could probably be a phone app or something. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, uh, let's uh, let's thank our first sponsor, which is Third Love. Oh my goodness, I love it when Third Love sponsors the show. They uh, they know that this is a show uh, that has a lot of female listeners and folks that love females and want them to know that the bra that they've been using is likely not the best bra they could be using. Third Love has figured out bras, has made a better bra. They invented new sizes for bras. They have come up with a fit finder quiz that makes sure you are fit perfectly inside your bra. And the truth is, most people who wear bras are wearing ill-fitted bras. Why? Because the process to get a bra fit is uh, obnoxious, or or so I'm told. Uh, But the Fit Finder quiz is simple. This is an example of what we were talking about. Over 15 million women have taken the quiz to date. And because they did, they were able to iterate on it and refine it, kind of like what we were talking about with, uh, you know, using uh, gamifying something. This is a fun quiz. It takes less than a minute to complete. And you determine the best 
bra for your shape. It says, did you know that breast shape matters when finding a good fit? It helps you identify your breast size and shape and find styles that fit your body. And they have a perfect fit promise. Every single customer that purchases a third love bra has 60 days to wear it, wash it, put it to the test. And then if you don't love it, you can return it and third love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. How great. So there's really no risk because you don't risk anything. And even if you don't end up liking it, it goes to a good cause, which is pretty awesome. But they have incredible uh, materials that they use. There's no scratchy uh, tags to worry about. Hands down, the most comfortable bra you'll own. Lightweight, super thin memory foam cups. My wife has numerous third love bras at this point. It's really the only bra she wants to wear. I know Christian, your wife as well loves third love bras, right? Yes. You just redoubled down on uh new bras. What was it like two weeks ago? Yeah. And third love knows there is a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash DLC now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash DLC for 15% off today. T-H-I-R-D-L-O-V-E dot com slash DLC. All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. And Greg, I'm sure, as usual, you're playing a ton of stuff. Yeah. Not the least of which is... Final Fantasy VII Remake came out! Can you believe it? It finally happened, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> 20, how many years? 23 years has it been? Sounds right. I never was a Final Fantasy guy, so I couldn't even tell you. Oh, did you did you play the original Final Fantasy VII back in the day? I, I've tried many times. I've tried oh, with yeah. just not every Final Fantasy. That'd be crazy. But like every one of the modern times going back to seven, yeah, I've tried and they never, ever click for me. Interesting. Interesting. So that makes me very curious uh, what you think of the remake. I adore Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's the first Final Fantasy game I've ever beaten. It's the first Final Fantasy game I was ever unable to put down. And wow. I think it's crazy that this has happened. Because if you remember, and I'm asking you to reach way back in your memory banks, but Tim Geddes and myself from Kind of Funny hosted uh, the Final Fantasy 15 reveal event for Square. And when we did, they specifically wanted me and Tim. And I was like, I get Tim, a lifelong Final Fantasy fan. (laughs) Why would you want me? I've, I've, I've talked crap about your games before. And they're like, well, that's the point with 15. We think 15 is this game that could bring in both the hardcore like Tim and then people who have never played it like you. And I was like, oh, that's actually a really cool pitch. Let's do it. And so we did. And then they gave me the final version of the game and I played for four hours. And I was like, nah, this just is, I don't like this world. I don't like this setting. The combat seems all right. I'm out. And so we're not hanging out with the boys in the car. Exactly. Right. That was a cool idea. Florence and the machine. All right. Uh, (laughs) When seven obviously was getting closed, like the week, or I guess a couple days before we got review code, we had done our uh, review for Resident Evil three. And at the end for the Patreon version, we, in the post show, we were talking about the hype level for seven and everyone else on this thing, like Imran and and Tim were, you know, final fantasy seven devotees. And so they were like, I can't wait for this. And I was like, I'm, I'm excited. I hope I like it kind of thing. You know what I mean? And starting that game up from the opening 
is cinematic that introduces the games i got chills and i was like what the, i don't even have an emotional connection to this game why am i why is this driving it home like that and then getting in how beautiful it, it is getting in how great the story is getting in how much fun the combat is i didn't expect that where i love that combat system so much that in those first i don't even know 15 10 hours of the game i was like oh my god give me more reasons to fight i wanted to explore the world i wanted to meet all these characters but i was like give me more things just to go out and grind for i want to dig into that because i've been playing it as well and it's extraordinary i mean we we really are in the era of you know remake is the right word remake is the right word when you have you know hollywood has done it for generations where uh, an old movie gets remade with new actors and new technological capabilities, new, new film techniques. Now video games are doing that. It's not just a a sharper image. It's not just up resed textures. This is a full remake. It's as if somebody came to this script, picked it up and said, how would I make it today? How would I direct it? How would I cast it? How would I shoot it? Uh, what kind of combat would it have? I mean, it's completely remade. And that is that is an extraordinary thing just in and of itself. I mean, obviously we saw that with the, the Resident Evil games as well, but uh, I'm so struck by by how fundamentally re-examined this property is in this retelling. But the biggest thing for me is the combat. And I want to dig deeper into that because you're so enthusiastic about it. And I am somebody that really loves turn-based combat anyway. Mm -hmm. And I found myself thinking about how this all came to be, because you, you know, if you (laughs) really want to go back in the way back machine and you go, okay, late seventies, these dudes invent this thing called dungeons and dragons. And it was all about them trying to figure out a way to be inside J.R. Tolkien novel. And how would they make that happen? Well, they went, okay, well, we would break it down and we would have turns for all the people in the party because the fellowship was a party. And so we have a party of multiple people and everybody gets a turn and then we do a thing on our turn. And that seems to work well. And then in the early eighties, you have computers available to average people and you have average people deciding, Hey, I want to make a Dungeons and Dragons game where I don't have to be the DM, where all the computations are done for me. So I can start creating these things called computer role playing games and yeah, we're going to retain basically the structure of D&D where you have turns and you have a party of adventurers and you have games like Wizardry and Ultima and Might and Magic and, and computer role-playing games start happening. And then in the East, you have all of these great gamers and designers and programmers looking at those games and going, oh my God, and Wizardry and Ultima were massive hits in Asia. And shortly after that, you get Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy and they start making their own version and and modifying it in certain ways and using their kinds of storytelling. But what remained was this fundamental idea that goes all the way back to Dungeons and Dragons, which is you have more than one person in your group because it's about a, a party of adventurers and you have turns where you decide what they do and then the enemy has a turn and and that's how the combat happens and then video games evolve and the technology improves and you have action games that are more capable and kind of take over what more people play and and because the technology allows them to be more engaging and more interesting and more fun and more kinetic and exciting and so of course these things evolve and get better and so then computer role-playing games start having 
action-based combat and third-person action games just feel like the way you want to interact with a video game. And so more role-playing games start having action, real-time action combat. And then you have the these long-standing franchises like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest. You, you have the Final Fantasy franchise kind of reckoning with this crossroads of like, well, we've been this thing, but the marketplace and sort of just the culture of video game is this other thing. It's, it feels more action-oriented and real-time. And they started coming up with hybrid ways to try to do both. And I say that, do that long, long, long preamble to say as effective as a combat system as I think Final Fantasy VII and also fifteen for that matter, because fifteen is similar in, in a lot of ways to what they're doing here. I don't think this is the combat system that they would have come to if they were just saying, hey, how do we make the best version of this game? Oh, I, interesting. I, it doesn't feel to me like it, it, it feels to me like it, it needed to be a certain thing. And then they're trying to push away from that thing. And, and for me, it, it, I find it very unsatisfying on a fundamental level because, yeah, I'm, I'm doing really fun action combat, you know, Kingdom Hearts style, whatever it is, very over the top, fun action combat. But at any point, I can also switch into another character and there are things that force me to do that. And at any point, I can also sort of slow time and cast spells and do abilities. And, and all of that is good and fun. And I do those things in other third-person action games, but it it never feels to me like I'm in control of an entire party. It feels like I'm I'm body swapping as needed. And I never like the feeling that the computer is handling other members of the party fighting for me. So yeah. tell me how you feel about that. That's a fascinating take. And I, I and I know you were like, you know, and long-winded, I, I loved that ride. I loved where you were, how you did that and where you took us. For me, I, it, it got deeper the the longer I played, right? So I beat it in probably, I think my game clock was like 36 hours, 37 hours. And so early on, it was very much, I'm Cloud. I, I had my head wrapped around, I am Cloud, right? And I'm very much just hitting everything with the Buster Sword. Like you say, yeah, occasionally a story forced me to be Barrett or Tifa or whatever. And so I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then it was getting to the first boss or i guess even just room full of enemies that was like man i really need to heal i'm out of man oh right hold on i don't have to i don't have to do everything you know you, you like you're saying you pause the battle i use the shoulder buttons i swap over to tifa i use cure okay cool and then starting to get in the thing of the rhythm of doing that and then okay wait all these guys are flying i don't have any good attacks tifa okay get barrett barrett starts shooting i felt it was a slow build to get to the end of the game which at the end of the game, and somebody who's like, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm not a JRPG guy usually. Like, there are the exceptions of like Persona that I love and you know, Door and like Golden. I played so much of. Getting to the end of the game really suddenly felt like, and, and I'm, it obviously happened before then, but you know, from moment fight one to the last fight of the game was night and day for me of being at the end and being like, okay, cool. I'm not cloud. I am this party and I do need to figure, I do need to slow it down, swap it out. I'm going to have, I'm going to have cloud draw attention. That way bear can get behind. I'm going to do this. I need Tifa and Aerith running healing spells over here. And it suddenly at the end felt like I was playing a modern take on a JRPG where in the beginning it did felt very, it felt very much like, all right, cool. I don't even want to switch over. I'm playing an action game. I'm going to play this the way I play Assassin's Creed Odyssey or something like that, where I am this person. 
That's interesting. I, I, I have not put in nearly as many hours and I'm certainly nowhere near the end. Uh, so maybe my, my feelings will continue to evolve on this, but, um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And that's what I, that's the feeling that I want to have. And, you know, even with games like Mass Effect, I always felt a little bit like, it annoys me that the computer decided to do this or that with the people that I'm not controlling. Um, I, I enjoy the idea of a party of adventurers and strategically deciding how they specialize in a combat, you know, Mm -hmm. like, okay, this person and that person are going to be doing this and that while this person and that person are going to be doing the other stuff. And I enjoy that team dynamic as being the, the puppet master and saying, you know, somebody's going to be focusing on heals and somebody's going to be focusing on, you know, doing melee damage and somebody. So I've always, I love JRPGs for, for their combat systems. I love the, the strategic side of that. And I'm encouraged to hear that you say that you really felt like you, you got to that place, but I, I just feel like it's such a hybrid um, shoehorning. It feels like this is, there's, there's a thing they wanted to do, but there's a thing that they felt they had to do. And so they couldn't go all the way into what they wanted to do because they were held back by what they felt they had to do. No, I totally get that. And that's why I was saying that's such an interesting take on it. Of, I get that. Of like, let's say they did blow it up. You're making a Final Fantasy or whatever. It can be any kind of combat you'd want it to be. Would you do this system that is more modern, but clearly has this lineage in tr- turn-based JRPG tactics? Right. And I and I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm off base. Maybe they would get to this point, but it just feels like it's it's weighed down by baggage from earlier eras. Uh, that being said, I'm having a blast with it. I mean, it's it's yeah. Really I was wondering, fun. you're enjoying it enough to keep going. Oh yes, I mean it's it's great, and it 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 clearly is a labor of love. This game, you just feel the attention to detail throughout it, and you feel these these designers who revere the source material and really tried to make it, uh, it just the best version of that source material they could possibly make. Um, I mean, there are things that are a little scratch your head about, like the game looks exquisite until it looks terrible. Like there are, you know, <laughs> NPCs where you're like, whoa, is this a PS2 game for just like a moment, you know? Totally. Um, and there's textures in the backgrounds for sure, where it's like clearly they're using it all in the hero characters in the main area you're on. But like you look off in the distance, you're like that's flat. That is a flat texture yeah. in the back that's supposed to be a yeah. world. There are, there are times when you're like, this is the most beautiful video game I've ever seen. And then like, you know, two minutes later, it's like, whoa, who's that? Who's that person? That, that blob of color. Um, <laughs> But, you know, but for the most part, it, it is, it's an extraordinary thing. I mean, you can't say enough good, uh, uh, from my perspective, about the music. Like, Final Fantasy games have always done music extraordinarily well. But you talk about turning it on and within 10 minutes feeling like oh, swept up in the story. I think the bulk of the heavy lifting on that is the music. It is yeah. so good and constant and always wonderful to listen to. I think the vocal performances are a little uneven, um, but I, you know, I, I say that about most anime too. So sure. I, you know, I, I'm a little critical about that perhaps. Um, but overall it, it's so far, I, I haven't gotten nearly as far as you, but so far it is, it's been uh, a, just a joy to revisit this game and, in the way that is presented. And the final fantasy settings are just so unlike anything else out there. I love them. I love how outside the box they're not, orcs and elves you know they're not star wars they're this place between the two and i love that 
Yeah, it does a great job, I think, of grounding this story, right? And I think that's where I've lost touch with other Final Fantasies on how they handled it, especially, you know, 15, where it was like, all right, it's a, it's a road trip, but you're also the prince, and there's this, I'm like, what's going on? Like, I don't know, why is this giant cloud man here to fight us? Like, yeah. This one is a starts from a very simple space, right? Of just like, yeah, there are these, uh, <laughs> you know, eco terrorists, right? And they've hired this mercenary to come in and help. And like, from there, you start getting, you know, into who these people are and why they're who they are. Do you like the characters? I mean, they, they start off pretty unlikable. Uh, at least, you know, Cloud does. Sure. My perspective. Yeah, I do. And I think it's, you know, similar to what you're talking about in what we already talked about in terms of combat of it getting more endearing more becoming more normal as you go it's the same way here where some starting this game for the first time and like barrett popping up and you're just like all right why is he why is he so over the top like is there any is there going to be range to this character and then somehow they find a way to give him i think incredible range and show why he's the way he is what his uh, uh i'm trying not to spoil anything what his you know grounding principles are and who why you know he this fight matters to him and you get to see him in different situations where he isn't just the bravado he is scared he is worried he is heartfelt and when you get to the end where you know people are friends and they're having those moments it's like okay cool this this i get what you did here and i think you know i wouldn't know the difference but having done the spoiler cast and you know the review for kind of funny talking to tim and imran people who are fans the fact that like i thought jesse was so cool and jesse is so well-rounded and they're like jesse is a footnote in final fantasy 7 the original <laughs> she is yeah. just something there to get you from point a to point b so the fact they made her matter and people care about her i think speaks to it yeah it's it's pretty great how they didn't they didn't short shrift the process of remaking this they really looked at it and went how can we improve Every element, it didn't feel like anything was sacrosanct, you know, like they could, they could really emphasize things, de-emphasize other things, look at how the game was presented on a fundamental level. And you can still have those extraordinary side-by-side screenshots of like, well, this is that scene here and this is that scene here and see how amazing the technology has leapt. But also the structure of the story is fundamentally different. And that's, that's pretty bold. And I give them a lot of credit for doing that. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Christian, are you gonna uh, are you gonna play it, or are you still resisting the Final Fantasy VII remake? I'm not resisting it as much as I am. I, I just don't think I'll get to it. Um, just to be perfectly honest, I, I'm I'm fascinated by where it ends, and and I don't mean this chapter, but I mean like the entire. Because my understanding is this is like what a 30 hour experience that was the first five of a old 40 hour experience, like. I mean, I'm blown away by the quality. Everybody seems to love it. I, I I agree with you, Jeff, that I feel like, you know, remake is such an apt word for this game this time. And also, I think it's very bold and, and square and all the developers that worked on it should be applauded for taking such a, a, a risk on a game. I mean, the, the safe thing was just to put paint on it and put it out and price would have still sold very well, but to take arguably the most beloved final fantasy, if maybe not the most beloved, certainly I think the the most well-known or talked about and to rethink so much of the game is um, pretty incredible. And the fact that they hit it out of the park um, like they did is, is really cool, but I'm just so curious if they continue at this pace and they took a, they turn a 40 hour game into a 280 hour, you know, <laughs> adventure that it ends up becoming and spanning consoles. Does like 
the final chapter come out on PS6, you know, or do they have the <laughs> engine churning now and, and they can finish this thing? But yeah, I'm blown away by um, the, the, the chances they took because I feel like you don't see that often for franchises that are this important. It's no wonder it took them so long yeah. <laughs> to do it. Uh, but Greg, it's not the only remake you're playing, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we just got done with a Resident Evil 3 remake. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Take it all. Uh, similar thing here where, you know, growing up, Resident Evil was not my jam and it should have been like my favorite, you know, horror movies are zombie movies. And so I remember getting Resident Evil 2 when I got my PS1 and being like, oh my gosh, I've heard so many great things and jumping into it and being like, wow, this controls like a tank. And I feel so, I, I feel like I'm getting eaten and losing in this game because of the controls and not because of it. So I, you know, stepped away and never really became a Resident Evil fan, I would say. Even, you know, I played Code Veronica as well and I played four, of course, but it wouldn't be Resident Evil 7. That would be the one in VR when I started that where I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so great. And like we're going somewhere really cool with this. And then for them to go to and, Resident and that place that's cool is poop in your pants. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Having you're going to get pinned down by the witch or whatever and have her screaming in your face. Um, it was then, you know, Resident Evil 2 dropped and I was like, all right, I don't really have, you know, affinity for this. Very similar to Final Fantasy and fell in love with that game and thought they did such a great job with that. So with that lens, when Resident Evil 3 came out, it was like, all right, cool. Yeah, I know I like Resident Evil and I know I want to be a part of this. So let's go. And jumping in, I found it to be too short, I thought, for its price point, which I know obviously there's you can replay, but I didn't see the real draw to it personally. And then on top of that, I thought they were similar to what we're talking about with Final Fantasy 7 Remake, right? Changing things. And is this how they would have done it? I thought they were too beholden to boss fights they had had before where, you know, they introduce obviously Nemesis and he's this crazy creature that is totally terrifying to the point that like at one point you know after his first introduction he chases you and i kept getting killed by him and i was like oh he's killing me because i'm going the wrong way this game's trying to you know send me one direction and after getting killed a bunch of times i texted tim i'm like you know this is my first time playing this game in full am i missing something here and he's like yeah this thing just wants to kill you you have to figure out a way past it and i was like wow didn't see that coming that's awesome then as the game evolves and you continue to run into Nemesis, right? You're running into these boss fights that feel, and granted, I didn't originally play them, but feel pulled from the original, where suddenly this thing that could teleport all around was keeping me on my toes and totally shaking me from what I thought I should do is slowly walking behind me with a grenade launcher. And I just have <laughs> or a rocket launcher. I just have to go around this giant crate that's on fire but won't blow up for some reason and reload and shoot them at specific pop spots and yada, yada, yada. That said... Totally loved it. Like, it, you know, it is a great action game. It, it reminds me of a good action movie. It, you know, isn't around long enough to annoy you or feel like it's being drawn out. I think it is, you know, isn't around. You know, I, I didn't even bother with the multiplayer resistance. That isn't really my thing. Uh, it's good. It's fun. But I think the bar Resident Evil 2 set as a remake was just so high that to come into this and have it be like, oh, okay, cool. This is This is good. This is fun. Like, if you want this kind of, you know five hour five and a half hour experience of running through and having an action zombie game i get it but i wouldn't i'm not like gung-ho about recommending it or anything like that yeah yeah it's interesting you know there's there's rumors that re4 is the next remake yeah. um I, I i would be excited for that but yeah re3 was never 
my favorite in the franchise. And it's interesting to see how people are reacting to it. I, I haven't played it at all, but. And that's my I thing do. where it's like, again, not having a love or a knowledge base on it. When I started talking about it, people were like, well, yeah, like we didn't really like Resident Evil 3 when it came out originally. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. all right, well, I don't know what you want me to do about it. Like, this is how I feel about it. But if it's not what it was, then whatever. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because you see, it's it kind of speaks to what we were talking about with Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is it didn't feel as much like they wanted to reinvent what RE3 was. They just kind of wanted to represent it in a better, more technologically advanced way. At least that's my impression from what people have said. And uh, I wonder if they had, you know, decided to maybe reinvent it, if, if it would have been more like RE2 or RE4 or RE7 for that matter. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, and I know, you know, looking at your Twitter feed, there's nonstop Animal Crossing yes. happening. I can't get away. I, I uh, you know, I actually took a, and this is big news and it's an exclusive for you guys. You know, I, I didn't play on Friday or Saturday. So coming in today, like Gary Witta uh, texted me and he's like, hey, uh, turnips right now are 93 or 90, 90 bells on my island if you want to come over. And I'm like, dude, didn't even prep for it. Haven't put any money aside for it. I, I, I've taken time off. I'm going to take a week off the turnip market. And oh then after goodness. I sent the text, I was like, well, I got to check in for Bunny Day. And so I turned it on for Bunny Day and I went to savings. I was like, oh, I got 300,000. Bought all the turnips, hit up Gary. I'm like, I'm all in. I'm back in. Sorry. No, I'm here. Don't worry about it. Went and visited an island, got a new Ghostbusters outfit, you know, ran around, talked to Zipper. I mean, I'm out there. I'm out there living it. You got, it. you know, that's what they say. You know, you try to escape the turnips. The turnips, you can't, you can't escape them. You can't, you get I can't that quit the market. You know what I mean? Uh, Christian, you're, are you still playing that Animal Crossing, or is it just your your daughters? I have actually now officially been able to get the controller, and I've wow. played some personally. It had just been my my kids. We were all set up on our island. I got some hands on time instead of just you know navigating and trying to coerce. Like my youngest, especially, I'm like, there's always going to be something. You have to come into it with a goal. Uh, no, no, yeah, uh, no, yeah, yes, you can just do. I mean, sure, but I know you're going to be upset when you have to turn it off, and you. Ha- Okay, yeah, you just run in circles. That is very silly. Yeah, you are you are very silly. Yep. Okay. <laughs> yep. Chase that crab. Chase that crab. Chase that. Okay. All right, we got to turn it off now. But I didn't get to open the museum. I know. <laughs> you have to do a very specific set of. Um, but so I'm looking at. I'm looking forward to blowing their minds. Where you know I'm going to play at night and get some of those night critters for nice. them and try to be try to be a good dad that way. Where it's like my oldest is seven and five are their ages. Um, <laughs> they, 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 are, they do talk about like um, they're talking to my wife and I and my oldest was like uh, yeah because when mom and dad watch TV and my youngest is like they, mom and dad don't watch TV and <laughs> my oldest goes yes they do after we are asleep. They do all sorts of stuff we don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, TV and candy. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, I look forward to blowing their minds and like making some, you know, shirts and, and stuff like that. But it's such a, I understand, Jeff, we will never convince you, but it is a perfect game. And it, it is a, a perfect game that came out at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Unlike something like Quibi, which is like a streaming platform for the exact wrong time. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we Animal know crossing. you're on the bus, so we're giving you 10 to 15 minutes. Of con- <laughs> oh, Quibi. No, we're so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Animal Crossing. Isn't it annoying it. to stand in line behind people? Uh, let's yeah. 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 yeah I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm not drawn to the Animal Crossing, but I'm pleased to hear people love it. And I am pleased uh, to hear you guys are still playing it. But my question to you, Greg, now is, uh, I know you love the division. Sure. 
now that it's basically a documentary series, <laughs> is there any, is it feel weird now playing it or is that just, you can suspend your disbelief? You know, it's, you suspend your disbelief, I think, more than anything. And I, I so yeah, you know, the division launched last month, the uh, Warlords of New York, this big expansion that brought you back to New York. And then I beat that, obviously, it re- raised the level cap. I hit that, no problem. And then this introduced a battle pass for them in like actually like weekly events that really change the end game and give you a reason to turn it on all the time. And you know, with all the reviews we've been doing, I haven't had ta- as much time to get back. So it's been here, there, and then this weekend was like, all right, cool. Final Fantasy's wrapped. Resident Evil's wrapped. You know, Animal Crossing will be with me the rest of my life like a monkey on my back. I can go to the division and start, you know, really grinding on that and seeing, earn those battle pass ranks. The thing about it is, I think the narrative of the division for the most part, and especially for running the same missions over and over again for endgame stuff, is so far beyond the actual, like, Hey, you know, the, the, the world's going to end or the virus is out or this, that, and the other, you know, division two, put it into a very specific spot of, you know, this is post pandemic world. Like the, you know, New York happened nine months ago. This is the summer now. And so you'll occasionally have that where, you know, I've put up screenshots of, you know, you I go into loot a drugstore or whatever. And there are the signs of like, how, you know, cover your mouth when you cough and all these different things. And it's not the flu scrawled on the walls. You're like, all right. Yeah, no, this is that hits close to home. That's a bit too real. Like how to wash your hands. But for the most part, then I'm outside shooting some guy with a flamethrower. And I'm like, all right, this, I don't worry about this. This isn't the same thing. I don't know. Six months because six months, I give it six months and we're flamethrowering everything. All right. Before I, yeah, I'll be the leader of the outcasts out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I keep saying is that the problem for me is that in the division two world, I'm the NPC that needs saving. That's, that's my, <laughs> hey, that's you I really water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm the sad person that you see one of those, uh, echoes about, um, <laughs> uh, and borderlands three, uh, you're also still chugging along on and more content comes out constantly for that. I know. Game, right. Yeah. That was the, yeah. that's been the thing is like, you know, uh, we had, I'd started in obviously on the new expansion, uh, guns, love and tentacles, which is, uh, the, you know, two of the guys getting married or whatever. So you have to go over there and be that, uh, j- me and my wife, uh, Jen, we play borderlands together. So we've been chipping away at that when I had the free time and, you know, I won't play that part without her, but then of course, yeah, borderlands science dropped and there's always someone on there. It's just, you know, borderlands and now division to an extent, but borderlands in general, the way they did, uh, cooperative play and you know level scaling to you and they, it's just such a great game of at any point like you know my, my co-worker kevin hit me up and he was just like hey i'm gonna get back into borderlands you want to play and i'm like yeah and he's like wait i'm only you know level 14 and your max level is that gonna break it i'm like no that's how this game works is that when i get in there we work on the same enemy and we do the same percentage of damages and you know it, it doesn't matter that i'm running through the story with you i'm still getting gear drops loot drops that matter to me and like it's so yeah. brilliant yeah it's great. Uh, I wish I wish all games worked that way. Know, it's frustrating right? when, when some games you're like, I, I'm not getting anything for this. I'm just uh, helping a person along. But yeah, um, awesome stuff. Um, Christian, let's go to you. But first, I want to thank our next sponsor, which is Ritual. Boy, in, in these days, it's, uh, it's a, a reminder that we all need to stay healthy. And we all want to do the right thing, keep our bodies healthy in the long run. And even if you're eating well, even if you're eating those kale salads and and drinking smoothies and and doing all the things you can to get the good stuff into your body, you're probably still missing some of the essential nutrients you need on a daily basis, which is why Ritual exists. Ritual is the obsessively researched vitamin for women. It is a 
vitamin that contains nutrients that most of us don't get enough of from food, all in a clean, absorbable form. No shady additives, no ingredients that you don't recognize or that can do more harm to your body than good. It's two easy-to-take capsules that provide nine nutrients that you need to support a strong foundation for your health. My wife has been taking Ritual uh, for a couple months now, and she swears by it. Uh, the thing she loves is that there's a lot of these, um, a lot of these women's supplement tablets that'll give you uh, omega threes, and because they do, they often have this kind of fishy aftertaste that is not really very pleasant. Ritual does not have that. My wife loves the fact that Ritual doesn't have it. It's also gentle on an empty stomach, so you don't have to worry about eating it with taking it with food. Uh, and there's a mint tab in every bottle to keep your breath fresh. It's it's pretty wonderful. They thought of everything with this. And also Ritual is traceable and transparent. This is for obsessive label readers. If you're the kind of person that makes sure the stuff that's going into your body from restaurants or from food labels is you know, vegan friendly or sugar free or non GMO or gluten free or allergen free. Uh, the thing, the kind of people that look at what goes in their body, that is who Ritual was made for. That's what they're showing you, all of their sources out there for the whole world to see. And it's delivered to you. So you don't have to worry about leaving your house to go get it. A subscription to this stuff is easy to start. And sometimes uh, it's easy to forget about you know, your supplement regimen, but that's why Ritual is delivered. It's only a dollar a day to have all the essential nutrients your body needs delivered every month, no strings attached. So better health doesn't happen overnight. And right now Ritual is offering listeners of DLC 10% off during your first three months. Fill in the gaps of your diet with Essential for Women, a small step that helps support a healthy foundation for your body. Visit ritual.com slash DLC to start your ritual today. That's 10% off during your first three months at ritual.com slash DLC, R-I-T-U-A-L.com slash DLC. Christian Spicer, what is on your playlist? Uh, what I want to talk about is uh, there's this indie dev um, called Riot. They've made a game for Small a while. Upstart. Yeah. What? Small upstart. Yeah, upstart. I mean, they've had a game. It was a hit. Some people played it for a while. Uh, it wasn't my genre, so I didn't follow it that closely. But like, I'd I see it on my Twitter timeline from time to time. Um, they have another game now that is very much my genre. And it is in closed beta. It's called Valorant. And uh, hey, friends, uh, this game's going to be a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you your finger on the pulse of the kids, huh? I, huh think, I, I think they're on to something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. I put on my Spice Radamus hat. Let me make a really bold prediction here. Uh, this game's going to be big. Well, one, it's easy to, to make silly jokes like that. But one, I think Riot, there's problems with kind of how it was rolled out, in my opinion, but seemed very smart and forward thinking with how they did roll this game out and had it for a lot of people. I was fortunate to be uh, provided access, but to be given access to this closed beta by watching streams on Twitch, partnering with very popular influencers and uh, journalists and, and streamers to stream the game. So it inflates those numbers are on the front page of Twitch. I think less than 24 hours after launching with like close to 2 million views, like it's a self-made phenomenon, but of course, when you do that, you have to have the product to back it up as well. Like if you put that effort into promoting the thing and then it ends up being 
you know, people lip syncing and the lip sync track fails. That's like a oops, you know, or if the game is broken, it doesn't work. But what is out now and is available in Valorant is so well done, in my opinion, that I think when if you if you are interested in the genre or a fan of it, seeing it, I think what gets you even more interested in it and then playing it just confirms those feelings. And for people that don't know, it is um, succinctly described as Overwatch meets uh, Counter-Strike. And I think that is a very apt description of it. It is a little reductive, but um, I think it's maybe more Counter-Strike than Overwatch, at least what's out right now. Five, uh, five versus five battles, heroes that you have powers, but like Counter-Strike, there's a buy period beforehand where you have to spec your guns that are much more realistic than Overwatch guns, you know, for the characters that have guns in Overwatch, um, much more Counter-Strike-esque. And then you're also spending on your powers. So you don't have unlimited abilities throughout a match. You, depending on the character, can use one of your specials once or maybe twice or maybe once in the early rounds and then twice later as you've saved up some currency to, you know, have a, a couple of different uses for it or a couple of different... Um, ammo for two two shots or whatever it is for your power and the map feels i think uh, i played on but it it feels much more akin to a counter-strike style map where sight lines matter a lot they are small um none of the characters move as quickly as overwatch characters where like winston can just bound over the entire map the whole time there's literally flying or mercy's trailing on the back of somebody right or um here when i was first playing valorant the first time i was like trying to figure out my keys. And I was like, what's like, the, the tutorial for the closed beta is very brief. And I was like, what's run? Like, I want to run over there. So I set up a little, just play around by myself for a little bit. And I go in and I'm looking at all the keys and I'm like, oh, run is on by default. Like my, that speed I'm going is run. And then I have to hold shift or whatever it is to walk. Like it's just a much slower game and walk becomes important. So you don't hear footprints. So you don't, you know, alert people to where you're coming from. But after I kind of found my rhythm for it, the the give and take of how crucial each sightline can be in the characters and, and how they can kind of obscure those or look to counter them and flank them and how quickly players can be eliminated um, is much more akin to a game like Counter-Strike or, or Rainbow Six Siege, where you know a couple of well-placed shots and you're out. You're out for that part of the round. Right now, what you're doing, each team, you're either on offense or defense. You're trying to, if you're on offense, plant a spike. And if you're on defense, you're trying to prevent it from being planted. If your whole team is eliminated, uh, if the spike's not planted, then that ends around and you switch sides at halftime. What surprised me about it was how long an entire game took. On average, I feel like I was probably 35, maybe 45 minutes for entire games which is longer than what i was expecting coming from i did not i have not played a lot of counter-strike in college i played you know i'm, I'm an old counter-strike player then I, I fell off of it um played a lot of overwatch so i was expecting that rhythm and while the matches themselves game set match while the game is very short the game the round i don't know how to do it <laughs> Individual <laughs> the matches are very short games themselves feel much longer than something like overwatch but my gosh this, this it, 
as a closed beta, this game feels polished. It has the right amount of color and flair to be visually interesting, but not too much that it, you know, risks tanking your frame rate on a lower end rig. I would guess I'm on a higher end rig, but you know, it, it looks bright. You can see what you need to see. It plays fast. Um, right now, I think the character balance is maybe what they're tweaking. It seems to be that there are a couple that everybody kind of rushes to first. Um, but there's a there's a lot to like in this game. The way it handles, the way it moves, the way it looks. I I hope it gets injected with a little bit more personality. Right now, characters all have you know like their one liners and stuff like that, and and kind of that feel to them. But I hope it it finds a way to express more of that in the match. But it it feels it feels fresh and familiar to me, which I, I find very exciting. Which I think is oftentimes the, the properties that we latch onto, right? Like we want to be surprised, but we also want to know what we're getting. And it's something that Disney and Marvel have done very well in the cinematic and TV universe. And Blizzard has done well in video games for so long. And I feel like Riot with Valorant is, is hitting, taking that and hitting it out of the park. Um, it's interesting that the, this is such a crowded genre. It, it is. It just feels like there's no room for this game. And yet it landed with such a, uh, you know, a powerful impact. There's, everybody's talking about it. There's tons of streams. Well, I think that's kind of how they launched it, right? Like- it's very smartly launched. And clearly there's a lot of Riot fans and, and they make great games and they have the the money and oomph to be able to uh, make everybody take notice. But also, you know, there are so many games doing this this very thing. It, I, I have not played it, but hearing you talk about it, I, I don't hear anything specifically that, sets it apart just that it's doing everything right, right? It's doing it all well. What sets it apart, I think, is the combination of hero abilities with a more, air quote, realistic um, gunplay, right? Where that that hasn't really been done before. You've had, like in Rainbow Six Siege, characters have classes and kind of ability, like a detonator and a shield and stuff like that. But that's not me pulling up a, a hologram on my wrist that displays the map where I can drop like a smoke tornado on the other side of a control point from where I am and then take out a flamethrower and ignite part of the ground or call up something that freezes something and then slows people down when they walk through it. Like it has that cool, you know, mystical power side to it, but it's not enemy other characters. You're not bullet sponges, you know, so you can't just be like running and like, just dropping rockets everywhere and flip flying around. You still have to be strategic and tactical with how you play. And I think combining those two without either one feeling OP or out of place, I think is what makes it really special. Maybe it's that the abilities are limited in use per round. So it's not just like everywhere you go, there's a frozen wall or something like that. Where in Overwatch, a game I still like, but have not played much recently you know, there are definitely matches you get into that where it's just ability, ability, because that's all characters really are, are their abilities. And seeing that balanced with gunplay um, and the way that Valorant does it, I think is what makes it really appealing. And I also think part of the reason it, it's getting the reception it is, and people are right to take notice, is it, it's kind of a put up or shut up moment for Riot. And I think they put up, right? Like this is a studio that makes one of the most successful and popular games in the world dropping their next game and and what is it going to be what are they going to do and it, i think valorant is showing that they took the time to make something great and put in the work and not just 
you know, rush something to market because it seemed like a hot segment. It seems something that's sustainable that they have a plan for. Um, Greg, I'm curious if you, you know, kind of what your take is on it and, and, and what you think the the franchise can and will be. I haven't played it. Uh, it's one of those things where I am a console plebe. Like I, you know, these days I, you know, that we're working from home. I'm working on the the office PC that my wife had, <laughs> so I have more power, and I've played a few things there. But it hasn't spoken to me as somebody yeah who didn't have anything uh, going with League of Legends or Overwatch or like those games just never speak to me so far. And I, you know, I talk about how I just got into Final Fantasy. I need to give it a shot. But Andy Cortez on my team's been playing a ton of it and loves it and thinks it's just the coolest thing ever. So I know I need to check it out. But yeah, outside of my own personal stuff for it, it looks like yeah, Riot has another hit on their hands and. I think it can only go well for them because they've learned so much with league, right? Like they've turned league into something that very few games in the industry ever get the chance at being. And I think taking all that learning and applying it to a new genre, like coming in and, you know, saying like, here's what we're going to do with this and we're going to learn. And we're obviously going to take all the lessons of CSGO and, uh, put our own spin on it and use, you know, the way heroes work and the way our community works. Like, it's going to be fascinating to watch. And the fact that I've already seen them putting out so many updates and all their messaging to players already, I think they're, they definitely have a hit on their hands, obviously. Yeah. It's a, it's a game that feels very confident in what it is. And it's very confident in the message that it's giving to gamers and players. And I'm curious to see how they kind of roll out new characters and how they, they tweak and balance things when it, when it comes out. I don't think Valorant needs to make riot money, (laughs) you know, in the grand scheme of things. Well, at a certain point, it will, right? Right, you know, right, right. Any game only has so long. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm confident that they have a plan in place for it. But I also think, while I never got into League, you know, you don't hear about people complaining about its monetization. Uh, I'm sure there are some, and I, I imagine it's not perfect because no form of monetization is perfect for every player. But I, I, I have to believe that they have a plan in place that is based off of their learnings from League and they're going to implement something similar. And now I'm more excited that the the game I know the least amount about that I might be the most excited for is what is it? Project L their fighting game. Cause I love fighters and riot seems to show have shown now with Valorant that they know how to make games out of genre. I'm very, very curious for what they do to the fighting genre next. A lot of talent, a lot of talent at that studio for sure. Yes. All right. Well, before we wrap up, I want to talk to Greg about Half-Life Alex. So let's Ooh. jump into VR. Half-Life Alex. Uh, I've been talking about it for several weeks now here on the show, <laughs> but that's not going to stop me because uh, I want to hear you who are a person who plays so many as you said console games specifically on a on a big television with a controller uh, i know you have played tons of vr already and you do a vr show and all that stuff but you know th- this to me feels like the next step of video games and i'm curious about your perspective as somebody who's very happy with the current step of video games <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh Half-Life Alex, I mean, a hell of a game. Are you kidding me? Like that, like, and it, this is such a weird podcast because we're talking about all these games that I've just reviewed and played, right? Same thing here. We're Half-Life. I was never a fan of. I When I had gotten Orange Box, I jumped in. I tried. They never stuck. I bounced. But 
you know, PlayStation VR was this huge step into VR for me, right? And showing me a brand new thing. And then when Quest came out, right? Like having Quest here and having that freedom being like, it's already a platform and, uh, you know, offshoot of the video game industry I love to have it be untethered and amazing. I was all about it. And so when Half-Life Alex got announced, obviously, it was like, yeah, as it was with the rest of the world, right? Or the industry of like, Oh, holy hell, like Valve is doing this and they're taking Half-Life that obviously, so you're like, you, you know, we start pontificating on all these shows of like, well, they have to be confident. They have to think they have something there. They have to be all about this. And so to get, yeah, I, I played on index. They sent an index, played on index on the unit I have out here at the PC. And it was that moment. I think, you know, we all talk about it when you talk about PlayStation VR or for me, I guess it would have been Oculus the first time I ever put on an Oculus dev kit and how, you know, uh, having your mo- your VR moment is like a religious experience, right? You remember it. And that's the story. Then you go and tell people about like when VR clicked for you. And Alex had, I mean, and I've been playing it now for years, obviously VR stuff. Alex had so many of those moments where, the controls were so precise. The world was so realized. The story was so interesting, especially when you get to the end, right? But like the amount of times that, you know, I I would lean, I would look down to check my Apple watch and forget that these weren't my hands. You know, and I, I know <laughs> because we all do that. We all have that moment. But it was the thing of like, Using the display the way you use it in Alex on your wrists, looking down and thinking my watch would be there and I would have the time. And it's like, oh, right, no, no, I'm still in the game world here. And I know that always sounds so goofy and kooky, but it, it was that kind of experience where I had to, you know, run through to review it and hit embargo, but like putting it on and being in there, I loved being in that world and how realized it was and how different it was. Yeah. Yeah, you talk about sounding goofy and kooky. I, I feel like I sound goofy and kooky every time I talk about VR, but that's kind of the kind of the the job, right? Is to say this thing that sounds so mundane and silly is a profound experience if you experience it. Like the totally the idea of of having to reach my hand into some place that I don't want to reach my hand into is different than pushing a button to do it. Yeah. Oh, you, know, yeah. There, you can get squeamish in a resident evil game, having to do a, a horrific thing or go to a place that's, is, is, but you're fundamentally just pushing a button when you have to lean in and reach your hand into that horrible pulsating globule, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, it really does affect you in a different way. And there are, like you said, eight to 10 moments in that game where I'm like, I've never experienced anything like this in a video game. I this mean, is a completely thing. Chapter seven, Jeff, is a I masterpiece. Know. You know, and that was the thing where the game builds on everything it's doing, and you're like, okay, cool, this is great. And like I, I'm I'm not in the boat of like it's a 10, it's this thing, it's revolutionized VR. But Jeff, of like when you have to cover your mouth in the way that changes the way I feel as an empowered player in this game where suddenly it was like, like it felt like you were in a quiet place. Like you were, yeah. <laughs> it was like that, yeah. like intimidating and the humor there and the level design there. And you're talking about like, you know, pushing a button and not being the same feeling, knowing everything I had to do, but doing it in the right sequence of throwing a bottle. So the monster goes over to the bottle, but then me just, just slipping by slipping between this bookcase and hoping, you know, he doesn't sense me or see me. It was like, that was on another level of how the game sh- should feel. Yeah. And there's not too long 
before that where there's a, an, an encounter with a new kind of enemy in a laundromat where that I was like, this might be the coolest encounter with a single enemy I've had in years in a video game. And then like th- it is completely dwarfed just a few hours later when you're in that Jeff chapter, you're like, oh, no, 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 this is the most extraordinary. <laughs> you know. It, and I feel like the game keeps doing that where it's like, and, and I felt like Half-Life 2 did that. I know you bounced off of it when you played it, but when I played it, when it came out, it, it felt like, oh my God, these are developers that are just constantly up, one-upping themselves. They start on an 11 and they go up from there. And that's... I, that's what makes me so excited. Hopefully there will be more of these and Valve will be making more games again because it's so clear the level of talent that they have and the level of uh, the kinds of games that they're able to put out that not really worrying about recouping their money or whatever. It's um, <laughs> it's, an ex- it's an extraordinary it's an extraordinary experience from start to finish and it just keeps building. It's like every chapter is more impressive than the last. Yeah. And I mean, and that that was the thing is I feel like without spoiling anything, getting into that final chapter and the way it kind of turns on its head, I wish that had happened earlier. I wish there was more of that. You know, I think that's an awesome payoff. I think it's an awesome ending. Again, as somebody who has no love for the franchise before this, I'm so in on what they do next. I can't wait to yeah. see what happens and where they go. The thing for VR and having played so much PlayStation VR and so much Quest, it was that normal thing of when I was playing it of like, this is great, but is it a great game, period, right? And I, I had so much trouble with the enemy AI in the way that like they'll come out and just like kind of plant themselves and start shooting and like give you plenty of time to duck behind or go get a grenade. And it's like, I get what you're doing. I understand that VR is different and it can't have the same kind of engagement, but I wanted you to be a bit more fierce. But then again, I didn't want to get stuck and like... It, the ba- the tightrope you walk as a developer trying to make a VR game and trying to move the medium forward, I understand it can't be this colossal jump. It had to be this really excellent step. Hmm. Interesting. That's an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, I, I I definitely agree that the relearning of how to be in a shooter in that environment was for me the challenge rather than the AI of the enemies. And I can understand that that criticism. If they had been smarter, it may have been crazy <laughs> but maybe in a good maybe in a good way you know but I, I i found tension in like reloading my gun which is just not something that you feel tension in in any other game these days you know sure yeah well i mean that was the thing of like uh you talk about final fantasy right and those gameplay mechanics the way we got in alex to when it starts to towards the end where it is all right cool i'm using telekinesis to grab this uh, thing i'm putting in my backpack i'm pulling out a, a thing i'm flipping off i'm dropping the magazine i'm putting in i'm loading one of the chamber like the smoothness of combat and the way you felt ownership and that felt so real and everything felt so smooth to do was amazing yeah, I agree. Very I agree. different reason, but Gears of War, I would say, has you feeling anxious as you're reloading. Yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, you're, you're not wrong, but in a in a different way, not in a. I mean, totally I guess when you mess way. up it, when you mess up in in Gears, it, you know, it, you have, pay a penalty. But I feel like this, the pure mechanics of all of the stuff you have to do because it also feels authentic and realistic and, and, and just the mechanics of having to load stuff in and make sure there's bullets and not lose track of everything. It just, it, it's not abstracted. It feels mm-hmm. like it's one-to-one in, in a mechanical way. Like this is a physical object that I have to manipulate rather than an abstraction in a video game that allows me to do a thing. You know? Yeah, totally. No, totally. 
Another one I awesome. shout out to you that I don't think he gets enough credit for, uh, Alex, is the level design in the fact yeah. that anytime I went down a hallway or I, I, this could be a waste of my time, it never was. There was always another piece of resin. There was always some ammo. There was a joke. It was like that. I wanted to explore that entire world. And every nook and cranny feels like just the edge of some larger tapestry, you know, even, even in a game that is as linear and uh, confined as Half-Life Alex is, it felt like just around the corner, there's this whole big world out there and every, you lean around a thing that you can't, you aren't really necessarily meant to see, but there's definitely extended geometry there. And it just feels like the world exists beyond the confines of where you are. Yeah. So good. So good. Uh, you know what else is so good? Our sponsor, Audible. Uh, I want to tell you about uh, a new product from Audible. It's called Escape from Virtual Island. Paul Rudd leads an all-star comedy cast in Escape from Virtual Island. A new scripted audio commentary, or excuse me, <laughs> a new scripted audio comedy written by John Lutz of SNL and 30 Rock. And Rudd is joined by uh, Jack McBriar, Paul Appel, Amber Ruffin, and a host of your favorite comedy personalities in this genre-hopping, mad-capped comedy adventure set on a remote luxury resort island in the year 2038. Adventure seekers flock here to live out their wildest fantasies in a custom-made virtual reality simulation. What? Uh, when an important guest goes missing, a ragtag search party led by Paul Rudd's maladjusted resort air plunge deep into the world of VR in hopes of returning with the lost guest and some sense of reality. Start your spring off completely lost in comedy delight. Escape from Virtual Island. Listen free with a 30-day trial. Just go to audible.com slash virtual island or text virtual island to 500-500. That's audible.com slash virtual island. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Greg Miller, thank you so much for being here, man. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, it's always great hanging out with you guys. It's been too long. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, it's certainly our pleasure. Uh, tell folks where they can find you and all the myriad things you do online. Oh, the easiest way to keep up with me is kindoffunny.com. You can find us at Kind of Funny Vids on Twitter, two YouTube channels, a slew of podcasts. If you find Kind of Funny out there, you'll find anything you want. If you don't want to talk about video games, we talk about movies. We're doing in review right now for both Back to the Future and then some other dorky thing I'm not on. I don't know, James Bond. It doesn't matter, but I'm talking about Back to the Future movies. You can, of course, find us with games daily all the time. There's tons of stuff, but just look for Kind of Funny. Awesome. I saw that you guys launched like a Transformers animated That's one. That's the one they're doing. No, they're doing it. So they, so we are lucky enough to have so many talented kind of funny best friends, which is what we call our fans. And we had reached out to one and he does the, these amazing, we pay him because he's amazing intros for in review. So they're doing the Transformer movies in review, but since there's nothing iconic about any of their openings, he redid the cartoon for Transformers for us. And it's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, very, very cool. Well, obviously great stuff to check out there. Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? Well, I'm starting my fundraising for St. Jude. Uh, you can find a link. Uh, maybe we'll get a link in the show notes to this. That'd be helpful. And also, if not, you can find it pinned at the top of my Twitter, which is at Spicer. I'm trying to figure out what my streaming is going to be uh, last year with Sekiro was what the, the community wanted. And I happily obliged this year um, because of things in my life right now. It needs to be a PC game. Um, 
consoles are in boxes at the moment, <laughs> except for Switch. Uh, so it needs to be a, it needs to be a PC game. Uh, but if there's a game on PC that people, you know, the community wants me to stream to do for to help raise money for kids fighting and beating cancer, let me know and I will happily take that on. But again, if you want to donate, it all goes to St. Jude. 100% of it goes to St. Jude. Uh, you can find the link pinned on my Twitter, which is at Spicer. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I'll definitely put a link in the uh, show notes of this episode as well. Um, I got lots of stuff for you to check out. If you want to hear about uh, movies and TV shows, I do the Slash Filmcast over at SlashFilmcast.com. We're doing all kinds of wacky stuff with no movies coming out uh, this <laughs> week. We're, this week we're talking about Tiger King. Ooh. So if you want to hear us go dig deep on Tiger King, all you uh, cool cats and kittens, uh, you can check out <laughs> that at SlashFilmcast.com. Uh, I also do a long-form live play Dungeons and Dragons show called The Dungeon Run, which I'm really proud of. We're doing an offshoot adventure right now uh, during our time um, staying at home. So we're continuing the show, not in the usual television quality that we do, but we're shooting it from home. So we started a, a side quest. It's really great. So you don't need any previous experience with the show. Jump right in and, and watch. We're on YouTube. If you search for The Dungeon Run, uh, you can also find us as an audio podcast. If you search for The Dungeon Run, anywhere you get audio podcasts, or you can watch us live on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. And then we brought back, we have concerns. Uh, Anthony, Anthony Carboni and I uh, did a show for four years uh, and then we stopped for two, but now we're back. Uh, the second episode dropped last Friday and we're going to be here every Friday uh, instead of the um, three short episodes we used to do a week. Now we're doing one long episode uh, you can find that. Uh, I think wehaveconcerns.com is back up, but if not, you can search for We Have Concerns anywhere you get audio podcasts. I guarantee you a chuckle, and maybe you'll learn something uh, about science. All right. Also, you can always uh, email us here at this show. Uh, it's dlcfeedback at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at Jeff Canada. All right. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion. Greg, do you have a suggestion for folks that might not be a video game? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I thought, you know, obviously there's, uh, we all are catching up on backlogs and everything else. Uh, I think a Superman uh, story that doesn't get enough credit that everybody should go read is Superman Last Son. Uh, it, was a, it was a bunch of comics that ran as an action comics run, but it's obviously collected as a graphic novel you can pick up. Uh, what's notable about it uh, that I always loved about it was that it's actually by Jeff Johns, who of course is a famed DC writer, but also Richard Donner, who did Superman the movie and actually worked with Jeff Johns way back in the day. So this is them teaming up and telling a story that exists in exists in the continuity at the time of action comics, but you don't need to, you can totally jump in there and read it as a sequel to Superman two. If you wanted, obviously jumping a million years ahead, but it would work that way. And is really a fun, excellent read. Yeah. And great time to read comics. The comics industry is uh, facing challenges like a lot of industries. So great time to buy some digital comics and check out uh, some great stories on a great medium. Christian Spicer, you got a parting gift? I do. Speaking of movies coming out, a movie did come out, Trolls World Tour, a day and date on digital VOD. I believe it was a $19 rental. We uh, watched it with the family this weekend. We watched it twice. Uh, last night, we watched it again today in our, whatever it is, 48-hour rental period. I will say my kids loved it, like absolutely loved it. 
And as someone who listened to the first Trolls movie soundtrack too many times, um, World Tour is really well done. I I feel like the animation is top notch. I love how they kind of doubled down on making the worlds feel very tactile. And it kind of feels like Yoshi's Wooly World kind of approach to things and seeing more of the troll worlds. And uh, I I also just can't, every time I watch these films, um, just imagining Anna Kendrick is such a gift. And just knowing that when she landed this role to be like, by the way, Anna, you're going to be the lead. And this uh, new actor, Justin Timberlake, is going to be your vocal backup. So no pressure. Um, <laughs> have fun with JT. But they play really well together. It's it's a fun movie. It's very you know direct in what it does and how it does it. But if you are at home, especially if you have kids, I, I highly recommend Trolls World Tour for a fun uh, 90 minutes. And some. I think in the first three minutes, there are already seven songs. You know, like it is a ripping medley. And it's it's really well done. All right. Yeah, it's crazy. They released that to, to homes instead of movie theaters. Pretty wild, the world we're living in. Um, we have a listener-suggested parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes to us from Doc M. Doc M says, uh, I have a suggestion as a listener parting gift. The work of Simon Stalinhog. Hopefully I pronounced that quite uh, well, uh, he's a he's a digital artist from Sweden who has three narrative art books, each one an alternate past sci-fi dystopia. His paintings are beautifully haunting expressions of landscapes mixed with colossal drones, cooling towers of super colliders, and even VR addicts. The first book, Tales from the Loop, spawned a tabletop RPG and a new series on Amazon Prime with Rebecca Hall and Jonathan Price. His latest book. The Electric Slate is my favorite and is being developed as a movie by the writers of Avengers Endgame. Stalin Hogg has even written music to accompany the book, which you can find on Bandcamp. He's on Redbubble for those who like, uh, who'd like a poster and is active on Twitter, even posting his effort on the upcoming fourth book, Labyrinthine, I think. Labyrinth in uh, Swedish, I guess. Uh, hope you can spread the word about this talented artist. Hope you two are doing well. Thank you, Doc M. Uh, I have not checked out Tales from the Loop yet, but man, I did look at uh, some of the work of Simon Stonehog, and it is really, really incredible stuff. So great suggestion. Uh, my parting gift is food. Uh, I have, in in my short time as a uh, quarantined individual who only goes to Trader Joe's once a week, uh, and even then, you know, it's a harrowing experience. I, I have come to the conclusion of the best item that Trader Joe's offers. And it's a, it, it was a, it was a difficult contest. A lot of great contenders to the throne of the single best thing that Trader Joe's sells. But I have come to the conclusion that it is the pecan praline. Oh, the pecan praline is sublime. And I will fight anyone who says differently. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. I could eat them probably just alone forever and be happy. Uh, the pecan praline, it's the perfect mix of salty and sweet all in one crunchy, delicious bite. Uh, and it is not that expensive. They come in little, uh, little, I don't know, what are they called? Little bins, little (laughs) container plastic receptacles. It's in a container. Useful information I'm giving to the audience. It comes in a container. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the pecan praline, highly recommended if you've not tried it. If you have access to a Trader Joe's, uh, just, you know, buy 80 tubs of that and you'll be happy. 
All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Greg Miller and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those fun bumpers. Thanks to all the folks in our live chat for hanging out with us in real time. And thank you to you for downloading this show and listening to us uh, while we get through this crazy time in our lives together. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.